What is up? I am Evan Lovett, and welcome to my new podcast, In a Minute with Evan Lovett. This is an Odyssey original brought to you by my company, In a Minute Media, coming to you live from my studio in the heart of my favorite city in the world, Los Angeles, California. Let's get into it. Yo, what is up? This is episode 23 of In a Minute with Evan Lovett. Coming to you from the I Am Studios in the heart of Los Angeles. And today's episode is about one thing. This is one thing that all of us, all 10 million plus people in Los Angeles deal with on a day-to-day basis. And I consider it the great equalizer in Los Angeles. In fact, you might be listening to this episode right now while you're dealing with it. I'm talking about traffic. There's not one person listening to this podcast. There's not one person in this city that doesn't have a massive part of their life revolve around traffic. Wherever you are going, whomever you're seeing, when you leave your front door to go anywhere, you need to decide how long it's going to take, what route you're going to use to get there because of traffic. And I'm even talking about you, mass transit users, bicyclists. You made those decisions partially, if not fully, to avoid traffic. So, I mean, is it going to take 10 minutes? Is it going to take 40 minutes? Today, we're going over all things traffic, facts, history, freeways. How many cars are there in LA? How did we get to this point anyway where traffic in Los Angeles dictates our lives? Buckle up. This is the traffic episode. Let's get into it. So the impetus for this episode is something that happened in L.A. this week. Commuters on the 405 freeway in Orange County could soon be driving in new lanes because of traffic. But they'd be paying tolls of nearly $10 to use these new express lanes during peak traffic hours. And the project is going to span 16 miles between Costa Mesa and the L.A. County line. And it'll add one lane, just one lane, in each direction. And it'll add a second lane that combines with the existing carpool lane. I'm not even sure how that's going to work. But it's going to be called the 405 Express Lane. Now, this is supposed to mitigate traffic. And why am I talking about Orange County? Which, by the way, used to be part of Los Angeles County. But Orange County is the litmus test. If this works, it's going to be coming to L.A. soon. And believe me, I will be watching. And so will all of Los Angeles. Because we ran an episode a couple months back about what people hate about LA. By far, by far, the number one answer was traffic. So we need solutions. And whether or not this $10 toll is the solution or not, I wanted to talk about traffic in Los Angeles. How bad is it really? Very bad. And how did we get to this point? First, some stats. Los Angeles has 650 miles of freeways, 22,000 miles of surface streets, and it's home to a staggering 7.9 million cars, which is an average of 1.71 cars per household. All right? Those are both far and away the highest in the United States. And how about that commute? 
Motorists in LA spent an average of 109 hours sitting in traffic last year, which is actually down from a pre-pandemic high of 120 hours per year. And I want to tell you, I used to have a commute from Valley Village to El Segundo. And that was the first time in my life that I realized how much it genuinely sucks away. Well, it sucks, but it also sucks your good energy. It sucks your life away. I was getting up at 545 so I could beat traffic just to drive an hour so it wouldn't be an hour and a half. But it was still an hour and a half on the way home. That means I was sitting in a car for two and a half hours a day. And I'm doing the math. That's 12 and a half hours a week of my of my life, of my good time. I mean, let's put it this way. Let's say you sleep eight hours a day. You're up for 16 hours. I was spending more than 10%, almost 15% of my awake hours in the car in traffic. It's not, whew, that's Los Angeles in a nutshell, okay? But, but back to the stats. The East LA interchange is the busiest freeway interchange in the world. Check this number out. 550,000 vehicles per day traverse the East LA interchange. The busiest street intersection is Santa Monica and Sawtell. But it's not the most dangerous. The most dangerous is Sherman Way and Sepulveda. And that's that's near my hometown. And I can tell you that is a gnarly intersection, man. There are a lot of accidents there because people are trying to skip their way around traffic and try and take these shortcuts and your Google Maps and your Apple Maps. And we all remember the days of printing out MapQuest. I mean, it's all in the name of shortcuts and, and skipping traffic. And... What does the city, what does the state try to do about it? Well, they want to control traffic, so they're giving out tickets. More than 5 million traffic tickets are given in California each year. And that just slows down traffic because they got to pull you over and they slow everything down. They cut you off and get it away. Traffic's also dangerous. According to the LAPD, 289 people were killed in traffic collisions in 2021. And a total of 1,465 people were severely injured. A lot of it's distracted driving, which does cause traffic. And a lot of it's just trying to avoid traffic. So traffic is a real problem and it's a real issue. And we all know it here in Los Angeles and we all deal with it every day. So we didn't get our first car until 1897. The Erie and Sturgis gasoline carriage created by engineer J. Philip Erie and machine shop owner S.D. Sturgis put the first gasoline-powered vehicle on the streets of Los Angeles. Again, 1897. This thing made its debut at 2 a.m. on May 30th, 1897. And they wanted to do it at 2 a.m. because this was an hour when the streets would be deserted, except for, quote-unquote, a few sleepy policemen and wildly careening milkmen. That's from the L.A. Times. But they wanted to also avoid horses which would be scared because, again, we're talking wagon and horse days, 1897. And the horses would be scared because this new gasoline motor was noisy because it was power- powered by gasoline explosions. So this guy, Erie, J. Philip Erie, it was a culmination of his dream. He'd been dreaming about this for two years, tinkering. He was from the Midwest, but he headed west because he had this idea of a motor carriage on the new frontier. So he raised $30,000 for this prototype. And this is in 1897. That's almost a million dollars now, right? And he said it could go about 25 miles per hour. 
which would have been something. It was something because horses at that time were just clomping down the street. I don't know, five, seven miles an hour tops. So this was a vision of the future, okay? So Erie and Sturgis, with the twist of a lever, were on 5th Street and Broadway. They rolled it out, turned left onto 6th, right onto Main, back onto 7th, and then rumbled for a mile towards Hollenbeck Park, except for the fact that they had to stop occasionally for repairs. This is the first car ever in Los Angeles, basically handmade, the culmination of a dream. But they had to stop for repairs multiple times over the course of about a mile, right? But the LA Times nonetheless said it was a gratifying success in every way. And it assured readers that in all probability, it will not be long before a factory is established in Los Angeles for the manufacture of motor wagons. And they knew what they were talking about because LA was built for the car even before people knew what the car was. I mean, unlike Manhattan, Chicago, San Francisco, which were restricted geographically by space, and they had to build up. Los Angeles wasn't restricted. We could build out. And Los Angeles did have a love affair with mass transit. I mean, we were the mass transit capital of the world. That is an LA in a minute iconic series. And, and that's the truth. And it's so ironic. But because Los Angeles was building outward, once people got to wherever their there was, they wanted to see more of it and go further and have autonomy. And even though they didn't know it yet, they wanted cars. L.A. would spread out and build homes in far-flung suburbs. They didn't want to be tied to the mass transit. They didn't want to have to use these railways. Hey, peace out to Huntington. But, you know, to reach the commercial retail hubs, they wanted cars. So by 1904, seven years later, there were already 1,600 cars on the roads in Los Angeles. And by 1909, Los Angeles had the first recorded traffic jam. This is a good story. It was July 24th, 1909. And this traffic jam was such a big deal that the line of standing automobiles at Maine and Spring downtown made front page news because there was, quote unquote, hardly room for a vehicle to pass. Now, this this doesn't even make news to your to your partner, to your spouse, to your kid, because we're in traffic everywhere. But it was front page news that there was a traffic jam and there had been a police traffic squad that developed in, in the, the, what, 12 years since the car came to L.A., but there was only a handful of officers for the whole city. There weren't even parking regulations yet, so people were leaving their cars at any curb. Yeah, you got a car here, throw it here. You got to go to the bank, whatever. Sure, park your car, it doesn't matter. And another problem was there weren't yet alleyways for trucks to load and unload goods, so everything being delivered went in and out the front doors of these businesses downtown. And again, street cars and rail cars were still wildly popular, as were trolleys. And all these vehicles were running on the same thoroughfares right amongst the horses and wagons. And the LA Times said one great cause of the congestion is the fact that Los Angeles has more automobiles than any other city. And these machines are run throughout the year. Two things to take out of that. Number one, we still have more automobiles than any other city. 
But the machines being run throughout the year, that was a uniquely Los Angeles thing. And as is with so many great and important things about Los Angeles, the climate that throughout the year part, you couldn't yet drive year round in many cities because these machines, these newfangled automobiles weren't ready to drive in the snow and the ice and things that you just didn't need to deal with in Los Angeles. And that is another reason why we have this love affair, because whether it's December or July or anything, January, whatever, you're driving around and looking at this beautiful Los Angeles scenery. So in the 114 years since the first traffic jam in L.A., things really haven't changed all that much. So since 1909, congestion and traffic jams have been commonplace. The population of L.A. grew so rapidly concurrently. As cars and the Model T became widely available. So as Los Angeles's early suburbs were growing, they attracted car owners and growing car traffic slowed this mass transit that many relied on, right? And the car is the reason. The car is why Los Angeles was the primary spawning ground. It's the origin of the super service station, the drive-in market, the drive-in, the supermarket, the drive through. So, I mean, continuing the trend of these preceding decades, the population of Los Angeles was swelling tremendously with people arriving by the thousands every single month and needing a car to get around. So here's what's funny. We're talking about the 1910s, 1920s, and traffic starting to become more and more of a story and a problem. And ironically, the automobile was seen by, by leaders as the solution to these transportation problems. The privately owned real companies were inflating their costs and they didn't want the city to buy them out. But Angelinos were reluctant to subsidize private rail. Sound familiar? And the city and the state continued to invest heavily in roads. And it culminated in 1936. Fortune magazine, which was a beacon at the time, reported... Their cover story was what they called the obsolescence of the modern railway, which basically put the nail in the coffin, at least in Los Angeles, in, in the railway. But some people stop and say, well, what about those Roger Rabbit conspiracies, right? Now, it's true that there was an organization called National City Lines that featured, you know, General Motors, um, Standard Oil, Mack Truck, a lot of these big companies that bought up streetcar systems eventually to quote unquote dismantle them. But the thing is in Los Angeles, the automobile craze, craze was sweeping through this city at a much faster rate than anywhere else, in part because of the climate, in part because of the flat terrain and the exciting terrain where you could go on an adventurous drive or a nice calm drive. But because that mass transit system that we had previously fallen in love with was so elaborate, there was already a roads and streets infrastructure in place for driving. So in 1919, when only 10% of LA's population had a car, that was still so many cars that it slowed down the railways who didn't have their own lanes, right? These, these, Streets were originally built for rails, but now cars were taking over. So the railways could no longer make their schedules and the level of service declined and people started complaining and just not being able to make it to work or make it to the store. So they ended up getting cars. And then by the 1920s, the rail cars were simply unprofitable. Services were cut. 
ridership and fare revenue continued to decline and the death spiral ensued. So yeah, National City Lines bought out the streetcars and the railways and maybe they had ulterior motives underneath all that. But the fact is people wanted cars and people needed cars at that point. So by World War II, Los Angeles had one of the strongest reputations in the world for a heavy reliance on the automobile, all right? And there were good roads, but there weren't enough roads. There wasn't a road system that matched this, this reputation. So the state of California financed something called the Arroyo Seco Parkway, now known as the Pasadena Freeway or the 110. And it was a depression era project for jobs creation. And it was also supposed to mitigate traffic. So when it opened between LA and Pasadena in 1940, it was the first freeway in the United States. Think about that. That's pretty dope. Like when you go on the 110, you're like, this is the first freeway. And that began the freeway building binge in Los Angeles. Most places didn't even get highways until Eisenhower launched the interstate highway system in 1956. So LA had a head start, not just on freeways, but on traffic. One of my favorite stories <laughs> is that the day the 405 freeway opened, the San Diego freeway, this is December 21st, 1962. It opened, there was a ribbon cutting and motorists flooded the northbound lanes above Sunset Boulevard <laughs> within one hour. One hour. Traffic backed up for more than a mile and it caused the first traffic jam on the 405. It took one hour of the 405 being open for there to be a traffic jam. How LA is that, right? And, and by the way, good story is why we say the in front of the freeway. Now, if you don't know what I mean, go anywhere else. They're like, I'm going to take 95 to 330 to 72. Nah, 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 nah. You know how we roll in Los Angeles. I'm taking the 405 to the 110 to the 105. And there's a good reason for this. When the rest of the country finally started playing catch up and building highways, LA already had its local freeways, right? Again, we were the forerunners of all this. And they were locally named to describe their route, right? There was the San Bernardino Freeway, the Ventura Freeway, Pasadena Freeway. And when they started naming it, there was this overlap between city and state and federal. So certain freeways encompassed different route numbers, right? The Hollywood Freeway was both Route 66 and the 101, depending on where you were along with it. Uh, the 405 was the 6 and the 405. So in 1964, California simplified that numbering system. So highways only had one route number. But people in LA already had their linguistic pattern, right? People began to replace the descriptive names like Harbor Freeway with the route numbers. So instead of the Harbor Freeway, it was the 110. Instead of the San Diego Freeway, it was the 405. And yeah, that stuck to this day. And that's why we in Los Angeles say the and the rest of the country is just used to the number, right? So yeah, back to the Arroyo Seco, okay? At the start, when it, when it was a parkway, right? Before it was a quote-unquote freeway. And the speed limit was 45 miles an hour. It was built to carry 27,000 cars per day. Today, <laughs> the number of cars just on the Arroyo Seco is 130,000. 
So that'll give you an indication of where we are with traffic, infrastructure, just the sheer demand and why we have these these traffic problems. So so why not mass transit, right? Yes, people like the economy. People want, want to drive. We're sick of this traffic, all this kind of stuff. But Los Angeles has a history ever since the dismantling of just shooting down railway and transit proposals, right? Suburban areas see them as a power grab by downtown interests and to, to be the central hub of commerce and proposals for a regional rail system were put forward and shot down again and again. 1948, 1961, 1974, 1976. People didn't want the mass transit, at least not the majority of people. So it wasn't even until 1980 when the first of several sales tax measures finally passed that regional transit became a possibility. And the only reason that measure even passed at the ballot box is because it included money for street and highway repairs. People in LA... The majority just are so reliant on the car. I mean, we did a whole podcast about the Metro. It's cool. There are a lot of good things about it. It helps you get certain places. But this city is just too big for it to be efficient. And people want to be in their car. It's your private space. You can pick your nose. You can make phone calls. You could curse. You could fart. You could do whatever you want. I mean, again, this sounds crude and crass, but... The fact is, it's like your home on wheels, man. And like that is a really valuable thing in a city that's this big and you spend so much time driving places. So when they figured out that the solution wasn't going to be mass transit, and again, kudos to, to I'm still working on. I know it's important, okay? But there was a freeway master plan that was supposed to add freeways, many more freeways. Listen to this. Only 7% of the freeways proposed in this freeway master plan were actually built. Can you think about, can, can you imagine this? We were about to have 12X, 13X the number of freeways that we have now. I can't even imagine that. I mean, maybe traffic would be better, but this city would be dramatically different, right? There was supposed to be the Laurel Canyon freeway to connect LAX to the Hollywood Bowl. There was supposed to be the Beverly Hills freeway to connect the 101 and 405 along Santa Monica and Melrose. There was supposed to be the LA River freeway, which essentially is the 710 but it was planned to run all the way to Pasadena, but instead it cuts off inexplicably in Alhambra, right? There was supposed to be the Whitnall Highway that was going to run from Burbank to Malibu right through the San Fernando Valley. There was supposed to be the Slauson Freeway that was going to run from Marina Del Rey to Orange County. And this is just a partial list of freeways that were never built. And these could have been solutions to traffic, or maybe they would have led to more traffic. Now, Again, I don't know what the solution is. And this is why I'm kind of kind of smirking throughout this episode because we all know in LA that traffic is just going to be there. That's what it was. And there have been times where we've seen success mitigating traffic. Okay? During the 1984 Olympics. And I remember this. I got to go to the 84 Olympics with my dad. I was young, very young, but I still have some memories. And it was great. And I'm excited for 2028. But there was like a wide range of systems management, demand management, they called it, and strategies to, to cut traffic for the two weeks of the Olympic Games. And it worked. I remember my dad telling me, you could drive anywhere during the Olympics and it was supposed to be crazy. Workers changed shifts, commuters stayed home. 
and the freeways were empty. I don't know, more recently, if you guys remember 2011 and 2012, there was Carmageddon. They were redoing the 405 freeway and they had to shut it down. And they were like, it's going to be Carmageddon. All that traffic's going to be all the other freeways, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? The freeways were empty. And those were some of the lightest traffic days in modern LA history. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe the solution is just scaring people into thinking traffic's going to be worse than ever. But, um, but back to the Orange County 405 freeway tolls. Is that going to help? The quote here, and this, this is a little dense, but the quote is, many stakeholders might benefit from reduced congestion more than they would suffer from driving being priced, though drivers do not recognize that possibility. What kind of mumbo? I don't even understand what I just read, but it says this. There would be reduced automobile traffic, especially along bus routes. Transit riders would enjoy more reliable service and quicker trips. And drivers who are paid per trip, your Ubers, your Lyfts, would benefit economically because commuters that have more control over their own time, be more motivated to ride on transit from home or work, and the city would require less space for parking and standing cars. You know what? The more I'm reading this, the more this sounds like mumbo jumbo, and I'm convinced this is not going to work. So I'm glad it's happening in Orange County because I want to keep an eye on it and I want to have to deal with it. But are enough people going to pay these tolls that it's going to keep enough cars off the streets? I do not think so. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. We're going to take a look at that. But nobody wants to pay for something that is currently free. And comparing that to what we currently have, I don't know. I don't think it's going to mitigate traffic. And we're still going to be Los Angeles. This beautiful, wonderful city where you're spending an hour plus per day in traffic. Since we're talking about traffic and driving and freeways, what you're going to do instead of sitting in traffic when you're on the 105 near the 710 is you're going to go to a drive-in. And yes, there are still drive-ins left in Los Angeles. There are two, in fact, the Paramount Drive-In in Paramount. And then over on the 605 and the 10, the Vineland Drive-In, the city of industry. What better way to enjoy your car and feeling escape from traffic, but still getting the autonomy and the privacy of being in your car than going to a drive-in? And yeah, I was pretty surprised. I knew there were some drive-ins left. I know there are a couple other theaters that are like makeshift drive-ins. But these are the last two real strong drive-ins remaining in L.A. And drive-ins used to be a huge thing. In the late 1950s, there were 4,700 drive-in theaters in the United States. And in Los Angeles alone, there were 49. It was a culture. It was a thing, man. 49 different drive-ins. Basically, you know, next neighborhood over, there was a drive-in theater. And whatever, what ended up happening is, well, the land was simply too valuable, especially in Los Angeles, right? The land was cleared away to make room for shopping centers or big box stores or even swap meets, right? And people's tastes changed. Movie theaters got nicer and, you know, the economics changed. But yeah, these two, Paramount Drive-In and Violent Drive-In are the last two main ones remaining. But I also want to dive into the history of drive-ins, which goes back to 1932. And a chemical company magnate named Richard Hollingshead Jr., 
who opened the first drive-in theater in Pensacon Township, New Jersey. The drive-in was advertised with the slogan, the whole family is welcome, regardless of how noisy the children are. I'm serious. That was his marketing slogan. And maybe that's why the theater closed after three years without turning a profit. But it wasn't long before the Pico Drive-In Theater at Pico and Westwood in Los Angeles opened. It's the first drive-in on the West Coast, first one in California, and the first one in Los Angeles. And if Pico and Westwood sounds familiar, like where, where's that drive-in today? Well, that's the current space of the West Side Pavilion, a.k.a. the new Google offices. And that one is long gone. But it's worth noting that that's where the first drive-in in L.A. was. I thought that was pretty cool. And the two that are remaining, this this Paramount drive-in, that was opened in May of 1948 by a company called the Modern Amusement Company. It was initially called the Rhodium Drive-In. In the South Los Angeles area, which was not known as Paramount at the time, it was known as Clearwater. And now the Rhodium Drive-In closed in 1992 and did indeed turn into a swap meet but it was reopened in 2014 and since then it's been doing pretty darn well especially spurned on during covid which was a renaissance for drive-ins and the reason why some of the pop-up drive-in theaters came to be so go to that paramount drive-in because that is dope and what a good way to spend the evening especially with your noisy kids or even your loved one do a little snuggling but that other drive-in in la it's the Vineland Drive-In in City of Industry, and that opened its doors in 1950. It did remain in operation for 38 years, 1988, shut down. But it did reopen for a summer movie series, and they're still keeping that going this summer. So get on down, drive, sit in traffic, and go to the Paramount Drive-In or the Vineland Drive-In, because that is one thing to do in L.A. this week. So that is our show. Hopefully you're not sitting in traffic, but if you are, I hope this episode made the, the traffic just melt away in your mind. And at least you know why it's there and how it came to be in Los Angeles. It's in a minute with Evan Lovett. Don't forget to DM me with your feedback, thoughts, even advice, any comments, anything you got. And please subscribe and follow if you like it. Share if you really love it. If you have 20 seconds, leave a review. At the very least, give me that five-star rating. It really helps. We're moving up the charts every week, and each review and every rating helps. All right, y'all. It's been a minute. Mm-hmm.